um, that I'm so glad that you guys are here. I'm so glad that each one of you has taken time out of your Christmas season. Many of you are on Christmas break. Some of you not quite yet. That's okay. But you've taken time out of studying for finals or doing something else you could be doing to come here and to hear what God's word has to say. And so, yes, we love having fun times. We love creating space for you guys to have fun times. We want to do that. But now, as we look at what God's word has to say, I just encourage each of you, just you can just turn on your, your zone in tap for a few minutes. It's not going to be super long. Let's see what God's word has to say. And now resist the urge to check your phone, check your notifications, tell your friend a joke, go to the bathroom. Just do your best. Let's zone in for a few minutes here. Hear what God has to say. And then we will have some fun afterwards. Junior hires or anyone who's just joining us for the first time, we've been going through a series called Advent. And the title for our series on Advent is The Story of Redemption. So what Advent is, it just means the word arrival. And the whole purpose of Advent is to set aside time every year, or this year in the month of December, to think about Jesus coming. Because there's so many things that distract our attention when it comes to Christmas. And there's lots of really good things, and they're gifts that God provides us to enjoy But what can really quickly happen is we focus way too much on the gift and we forget about the reason why there is even Christmas to celebrate in the first place. Though we love cookies and fellowship and ugly sweaters, studying in detail the what and the why of Christmas provides the deeper, the deepest sense of joy and gratitude and thanksgiving. And so in this series on the story of redemption, we've This is the fourth sermon. So the first one was on our need for a Savior. How we all sin. And we are all in need of someone outside of our own strength and power to deliver us from the consequences of our sin. But the good news is that according to Genesis 3, all the way at the beginning of the Bible, God promises that he is going to send someone to be that deliverer. He is going to take care of our issue, even though it's our issue and not his issue. And so two times ago, we, we, we tracked this person, this deliverer through the Old Testament. And last week we read Luke chapter 2, which is probably the most famous Christmas passage of all. When the, the emperor takes the census and Mary and Joseph and they travel. And you probably heard this story many times on Christmas morning or at church service. And it's good because it's studying and focusing on the birth of Jesus. We can think of it this way, that each week we've been assembling this cake, a really nice cake. Pick your favorite flavor. I'm imagining chocolate. I don't know why. Chocolate cake, we've been stacking layer on layer on layer. And tonight we get to coat the whole thing with icing. We get to cover it. Because if we start with the scene of baby Jesus in the manger, which is what we think of when we think Christmas story, we are missing all of the backstory. We're missing all of the expectation, the waiting, the longing, the hoping, all of the emotions that have been contributing to that moment of arrival for thousands of years in the past. And God's people were waiting for this baby Jesus. So we must start behind that. However, if we stop at the manger, if that's all we think about, 
we're missing out on the reason why the manger was necessary. The title for my sermon tonight is The Plan. The Plan. And we're going to dive into what it meant that Jesus had to come and why did he have to come? Why did he have to come? Why the need for deliverance? Why the prophecies? Why the waiting? Why the baby? And how does that have anything to do with me? How does a poor Jewish boy being born 2,000 years ago affect me? Does it? Well, as we will see tonight, it does. In one sense, it actually has everything to do with you. Because the incarnation, God coming to dwell on earth, the reality that God put on flesh was not an end to itself. It was the means by which God would accomplish an end. So here, think about it this way. Michael Jordan didn't care about playing in an NBA championship. Michael Jordan cared about winning an NBA championship. But in order to win an NBA championship, he had to get there. He had to play in the game. He had to compete. He had to arrive at the game. Similarly, Jesus' goal was not to just be born. But because Jesus had a bigger goal, dying on the cross, spoiler, he had to come. And we're going to talk about that. He needed to be born in order to accomplish this great goal. And we'll see that goal in our passage tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's our passage. We're going to pray. Lord, be with us tonight as we look at this word. It's one sentence, Lord, but there's so much depth there. And we need help seeing it. So we ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to not only see it and understand it, but rejoice in this truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Point number one. I've just got two points tonight. Okay? Number one, he became like us. He became like us. So what's the plan that God had put in store and that he was accomplishing the story of redemption? He became like us. We've been looking at different passages, last several gatherings, that that look at the anticipation of Jesus coming. And that's good. We need to do that. Christ became like us. But Jesus' birth was miraculous in more ways than just one. Okay, We all think about, oh yeah, Jesus was born by a Virgin Mary, right? That's the miracle. Yes, that was a miracle, but there's many more miracles. You ever think about the fact that the Eternal One entered into time, or that the All-Powerful One became weak, the Infinite God became finite, the Independent One became dependent. All of these truths, when they don't come into our ears after hearing them over and over and over over again, really blow our minds. The fact that something that was infinite has become constrained, finite, like that doesn't doesn't make any sense. And I know in this room there are people who come from different backgrounds. There are people that that are at a homeschool co-op or homeschool or public school or private school. There's people that have different families. You have two parents at home. You have one parent at home. You live with your grandparents. Maybe you have lots of siblings or no siblings. Maybe you are... A great student, or maybe you like procrastinating. 
Maybe you are more rebellious in your nature, or maybe you're more of a rule follower, right? There's all these different scopes of kind of who we come from and how we lean, but every one of you, including me, has sinned against God. We have failed to measure up to God's standard. Romans 3.23 says this, probably the most simply in all the Bible. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sinning creates a problem for us. And we forget this because when we think about sin, we don't think about like, oh, that's, I would rather sin than fail my math test because that actually has ramifications, right? That's the wrong thinking. Just because we don't feel the consequences of the sin doesn't mean they're not there. The problem, though, comes out most clearly when we think of death. If I were to ask you right now, when you die, where do you want to go? (laughs) Where do you want to go? I think the overwhelming consensus would be, well, I want to go to heaven, right? We all think of that idea and say, oh, I would like that. I would prefer that. But the problem is that going to heaven is not compatible with being sinful, There's a disconnect there. A sinful creature cannot be welcomed into heaven. And before I answer the question of how can a sinful creature come into heaven, how can a sinful creature like you and me enter into heaven, I should also add that in thinking of heaven, we we have a wrong view. And this comes out in another question. This one's a little bit harder to answer. I want you to think about it. If I were to offer you an existence with no pain, with no sorrow, no tears, no death, and everything just went well. Nothing went wrong. But you don't get God. Would you accept it? Would you want that? Is that what you desire? Do you desire the benefits that God provides you, or do you desire God himself? Another way to put it is, would you be happy with heaven without God? Would you be happy with a godless heaven? And that's a harder question to answer. Many of us might at first think, well, sure, that that sounds pretty good to me. That's pretty much what heaven's all about, right? Certainly better than what I'm dealing with on earth. But that leaves out the fact that the reason that heaven has all of these things is because God is there. All of these attributes of joy and peace and life are a part of God's nature. And so where God dwells, where he lives, those things will come out. Those things flow from God. We see this in the fact that the only time God ever dwelled with humans in a perfect way was before sin entered the world in Genesis 2. But after sin came, there's separation. There's an issue. There's a barrier in that relationship. And what is beyond our ability to comprehend in full is that why God wasn't content with leaving it like that. Because think about it. God made us. We turned from God and chose our own thing, sin. So God would be totally right with just saying, well, you get what you deserve. You get what you chose. You can have your sin. Sin gives birth to death. Wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. And not only physical death, but eternal death. 
The math of God letting us do what we choose makes sense. It adds up. As I was writing this, I was thinking about those math story problems that we have, that you probably had in like elementary school, where it's like, Johnny has 10 apples. Johnny throws away all of his apples. Now Johnny has no apples, right? That's the math, okay? That's the math on God letting you sin and you continue in your sin. It makes sense. It's just. That's fair. But what should blow our minds is that God wasn't content with that. He wanted more. He actually didn't want to just show justice to all of us, though it's what we deserve, but instead he showed mercy to us. But in order to show mercy, there needed to be a mediator, someone to bring us together, to reconcile us. There had to be a person who represented man perfectly and a person who represented God perfectly. Do you see that? How it was essential that God and man would come together into one person. And that person is Jesus Christ, the God-man. Galatians 4.4 sums this up. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption. Jesus, who was God, had to become like us. He had to become like us in every way. Listen to this. He had to be physically born from a woman. He had to be nursed as a baby. He had to be taught by teachers. He had to be growing, he had to grow up in a family with sinful parents and sinful siblings, like all of you guys have. Like I have too. He had to dedicate time to prayer. He had to work hard. He had to miss sleep. He experienced betrayal. He endured emotions like anger and joy and sorrow. He went through every single thing that we will go through in our lives, except for one. He was without sin. He lived in perfect obedience to his father's will, even when it cost him. But the burden that weighed the most upon Jesus' back wasn't the fact that his friends would deny him, which they did. And it also wasn't the fact that he actually had to physically be killed, murdered, crucified, in a very gruesome physical death. That wasn't the That wasn't the biggest pain. The biggest pain is the fact that Jesus, who was God, who lived forever in union with God, had to be severed. He had to be cut off. He had to take upon... He had to take upon our sin on His back. The pain that hurt Him the most is written in our passage. The Father made the Son to be sin, who knew no sin. Sin was not a part of God's nature. The one whom sin never tarnished, Jesus, who was perfect in all his actions, thoughts, words, and deeds, had to become like sin. He had to be treated as if he was a sinner. Sin leads to separation from God, and that's exactly what Jesus experienced for you and for me. And he had to. There was no other way. Do you recognize that there is no greater length that God could go to to save you? There's nothing more that God could offer more than his son. That's the biggest thing. God has extended his love for us in this way. Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb, had to take on the spots of mankind. He had to take on our sin. Though he did not know sin, 
he willingly took it upon himself. He became it for us. C.S. Lewis has a good, a good picture to, to reveal this. He says this, Lying at your feet is your dog. Imagine, for the moment, that your dog and every dog in the world is in deep distress. Some of us love, love dogs very much. I can tell by the, oh. If it would help all the dogs in the world, every single one of them, to become like men, would you be willing to become a dog? If it would help every single dog in the world, would you be willing to become a dog? It's a crazy question. And before you answer that too quickly, some of you have, would you be willing to put down your human nature? Which... When I say human nature, that may not mean anything for you. But what it does mean is you have to put away your relationships. You have to put away your interests. You have to put away your hobbies, your job, your school. You have to put away art, literature, music, sports. You have to put all of these things away. And choose instead of intimate communion with your beloved, the poor substitute of looking into the beloved's face and wagging your tail. (laughs) Would you be willing to do that, to be unable to smile or to speak? And Christ, by becoming man, limited the thing which to him was the most precious thing, which was communion with God the Father. And surely the separation between man, who is creature, and dog, who is also a creature, is much closer than the separation from creature and creator. So when God would come... And change his nature for you. That is a much greater gap than you becoming a dog. (laughs) And it's a silly illustration, but it conveys the right idea. Christ left his glory so that he could dwell with you. So that God could be brought to you. Why would he do that? Number two, so that we may become like him. We become like him. In the Hunger Games, if any of you have ever seen it, the whole country is divided into these groups of people called factions, okay? I had to do some research on my terminology, but I understood the, the point. <laughs> in order to appease, in order to make the government happy, every year they would draw like a random person from each faction and they would send them to a Roman gladiator-style duel where they would fight to the death. And it was... It's pretty horrific. I mean, they literally choose children to go fight each other to the death. And when someone is selected for the Hunger Games, it's assumed that they're going to die. Because this is a a match to the death and there's only ever one winner. Okay? But what makes the movie, the Hunger Games, pretty interesting is that a young girl named Primrose was chosen to go. She was chosen to fight in the Hunger Games But her older sister, Katniss, instead volunteers. She took her spot. Katniss made herself like Primrose in the same position as Primrose so that Primrose could be like Katniss. You see, there's an exchange there. There's a switch. And Jesus has done something similar but far greater to us. The reason he is 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 given in this verse God, he that made him to be sin, who knew no sin. The reason why? So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. 
We chose to turn from God instead. We choose to turn from God and instead we seek worldly things. And we have all chosen sin in some way. But it's incredible that God, though that's totally just, it totally makes sense. The math adds up. God moved in love at great cost to himself. And he desired to overcome every obstacle to absorb within himself the payment necessary to cover our sin. Jesus took on a nature that was not natural to him. It was foreign to him. So that we who were foreigners, cut off, cast out because of our sin, could be brought in. Daniel just preached on this. Jesus brings us home to the junior hires. We're in exile because of our sin. Jesus brings us home. Jesus was sent out so that we might be brought home. He was cursed so that we may be blessed. He was offered so that we may be redeemed. He was hated so that we may be loved. Jesus endured wrath so that we might know peace. He was betrayed so that we may be restored. Jesus died so that we may live. Jesus became like us so that we may become like him. In all these ways and many more, God has done a miraculous work. Really the greatest work of all. In order to provide a way for you to be brought home. There's a pastor who said it better than I ever can. He said in the 1500s, God's work of redemption is a work of greater might and mercy than all the rest. Everything else. Listen to this. For in creation, God made man like himself. But in redemption, God made himself like man. The work of God in redemption is unnatural. It doesn't make sense. And that's why we celebrate it when it comes to Christmas. Can you see all that God has done for you? Do you understand that? Can you see how filled with love he is to stoop to our level, to bear the entire weight upon himself? And do you see how incredible it is that he would actually invite you, even tonight, to receive that? To have joy in that. Not joy that's filled up on Christmas break and sweaters and contests and cookies, but joy that lasts. Lasts not even just to the end of the school year, to the end of college, not even just to the end of your life, but for all eternity. This is the joy that is offered to you. We are all searching for joy, hope, peace, and love, and many of us feel that desire around Christmas time more than any other season. Whether Christmas time is a painful reminder of a past grandparent, or you feel pain from turmoil, turmoil from friend groups that just seem to be exploding in your face, whether you feel the sorrow from life that seems to just keep coming, whether you just feel joyless because your life is mundane and you just feel you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, and there's nothing more. All of these things These pains in the world are pointing you to a missing piece in your soul that can only be satisfied with one, and that is the person Jesus Christ, who though he was high, he has regard for the lowly. And that's the good news of Christmas. That is why we celebrate that God would descend 
that he would become like us so that we could become like him. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for this incredible truth, which we fail to understand it. We fail to grasp it. And Lord, oftentimes when we hear of your work, though it's miraculous and incredible, our eyes are glazed over. And so, God, I ask, Lord, for each of these students tonight that you would just give them a moment, even if it's just 30 seconds. I would love for it to be more, but even if it's just 30 seconds, God, this Christmas season where your reality of coming to earth would hit them in a way that that changes their hearts, that they would receive salvation by faith, by looking to you and seeing the work that you have done for them. God, we ask you to be with us tonight and help us to enjoy fellowship and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so it's 746. The rest of the night, we're just hanging out. There's some cookies out in the back. Please, if you're getting in line for the cookies, just take a couple at the beginning and then get back in line. There's hot cocoa and coffee. And please keep the drinks out of the gym. Thank you.